Welcome to episode 29 of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Kim Lane. And we are back in Hermosa Beach. Yeah, I mean, we were here last week. We just happened to take off for part of the week. Yeah, we were up in uh, Vancouver for a couple of days. Um, I was presenting at ETUG, the Education Technology Users Group up there. And we're off this week again, first to Virginia for what? Um, Well, ostensibly open ed. You're presenting at open ed. I'm not. I'm speaking at Virginia Commonwealth University. Yeah, I'm speaking at open ed with a friend, Tom Woodward, on just APIs in general and kind of API nirvana, I guess is kind of the theme. Because, yeah, API (laughs) nirvana. Um, I think it's more like heroin and and nirvana the band and, and oh i and, see and smells, suicide smells like, like teen spirit <laughs> yeah yeah not like nirvana like buddhism mountain you know it's it's the other way gotcha. um and then uh i'm heading up to boston for my api strat conference and uh which is the seventh edition going on in boston this week Right on. Well, so yeah, I know today is sort of like the one day um, I get to finish my talk. Have you finished your talk for next week? Not 100%. It's about 82.6% finished. That's that's what I will say mine is. Mine is as well. 82.6. Scientific number. So speaking of 82.6, I'm still absolutely fixated on Nate Silver's site 538 um, and increasingly day by day have more and more anxiety about this election. Yeah, it's uh, um, there was a, a story I curated last week that was like, you know, said uh, jokingly that our our wearables or our Fitbit monitors are showing that this is a stressful as fuck election. And, and, um, I agree. It's, um, I have to work to tune it out sometimes and get back to work and, and try to do some writing or reading and just to take my mind off of it. Cause I have an ulcer. <laughs> well, and, uh, the, I mean, the, the news that broke on Friday about, um, that the FBI director said that they had discovered some emails that were maybe pertinent to ongoing investigations, and he just wanted to let folks know, you know, a week or so before the election, um, that the, that Hillary Clinton was still under investigation was uh, super upsetting, and I think it sent everyone into a tailspin. And another reminder of, I think, how... We're really getting, I think, bitten by people's lack of digital and technological literacy. And I mean that, I mean both the Clinton campaign, right, are definitely getting bitten. The number of things that have been hacked through phishing schemes, the, um, you know, the fact that Uma Abedin would share a computer with her husband, um, Grossi McWiener, um, is, you know, just sort of shows sort of poor security practices uh, at that level. But then also I think that so many Americans are sort of swept up on these stories about email scandal without, I think, actually understanding how email works or certainly having an appreciation of how it does not work um, at the federal level, right? How the federal IT infrastructure is so abysmal that anyone with half a mind that wanted to actually 
print an email or forward an email, it would likely do so in ways that were um, outside of perhaps the designated email channels. Yeah, I, I, I don't at all uh, support Hillary as far as like what, what she did with her email and everything, but I welcome anybody who is keeps bringing it up and, and talking about to go work in government and try to um, deal with email in that situation um, before you, you, you speak too much. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other pieces that I wanted to talk about um, today that are sort of connected to the sort of lack of understanding that we have as a, you know, culturally speaking, societally speaking, um, the lack of understanding of some of these technologies that we use every day, that we've come to rely on and we think of these as these sort of magically functioning um, tools. Um, we have a lot of, lot of stories in the news this week about Facebook, right, about Facebook and algorithms, about Facebook and data profiling, and of course Facebook and how those two things work in conjunction with this particular election. Should is there a story that you'd want to start with? Yeah, these? let's start with the uh, just the racism. I think that's I mean we've beat the algorithm drum, drum several times, but what 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 happened with the 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 racist filters? I mean last last week we talked about how the police were um, using uh, certain companies that were using the Facebook API to profile people, but this is a whole another dimension. Right. So this is a ProPublica story um, that. Um, they said they claim that uh, Facebook lets ad- this is the headline. Facebook lets advertisers exclude users by race. So when you purchase an advertising, and of course that um, that can mean a lot of a lot of different things. That's ways to target an ad, but it's all sorts of things that you can promote posts. You can target messages as well as advertising on Facebook. When you do so, you're given a a, a, a screen that lets you include and exclude certain characteristics. And this is, of course, one of the great promises of, of quote-unquote personalization, right? That's a term very familiar to those in ed tech, that with more data collection, we're going to be able to build profiles that target things more specifically at individuals' needs and desires. But what Facebook allows you to do is exclude people based on their demographics from seeing your tar- from seeing your um, the po- your promoted post or your or your advertisement lets you that lets you exclude people based on race i mean that's the I mean, that's just straight up illegal. Um, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, it's a cl- it is straight up illegal. It violates um, the Civil Rights Act. It violates the Fair Housing Act. Um, it's almost incomprehensible to imagine um, other news organizations doing this. And of course, Facebook likes to insist it's not a media company; it's a technology company. But this is absolutely illegal. Well, I mean, that's just. It's fascinating that what. <laughs> What a position like this, the people that are developing these algorithms and, and these tools, they're, um, they're so privileged at this level and they don't even see it. And the marketing and, and the kind of capitalist platform that this operates on it, as it reduces everything to a transaction, just kind of, you know, this isn't racism. This is demographics. This is marketing. It's, no, it's, I mean, it's, and that's, yeah, that's what Facebook says. I mean, Facebook says, oh, this, we are not excluding people by race because what we call the category ethnic affinity. Oh God! Right, so we aren't discriminating you based on race. We are 
we are allowing advertisers to target their ads based on, quote, ethnic affinity. Well, and this is the, I mean, the biggest danger. You always half jokingly, you know, tease me in my world with APIs that, you know, we're reducing everything to a transaction. And I think that's what, you know, technology is just really good at. And, and so many of us seem to be under the spell of it is it it detaches the human from this. It commoditizes the human portion. So people don't even see that this is human and these are, uh, you know, people and their children and their decision, life decisions and, 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 and how much it impacts the election. Um, and I think this, when you start putting these tools that supposedly Facebook is developing from a peer position, they're not, you know, building this, this racism into the algorithm. When you give these tools to, um, people like, the Trump campaign, um, and 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 as a as a vehicle for what they're looking for, it's it's just straight up racism. It, it doesn't matter wh- how what position you wrote the algorithm or the tools from. Well, I mean, and you know, the you you bring up the um, you bring up the uh, the Trump campaign, and of course, the the um, Donald Trump sort of introduction for many people into. Um, into the the public into public uh, the public eye was because he was sued for discrimination because he would not rent the properties that he owned to African Americans right and that's part of the it, for he was sued for violating the Fair Housing Act right and so that's what in particular this move by Facebook allows people to do so you can't put an advertisement right in in the newspaper that says, I will not rent to, um, to black people, right? I will not rent to Latinos. I will not rent to Muslims, right? You cannot advertise that. But you can create an ad, right, and then only target, right? If you can exclude people from seeing your ad on Facebook, that's absolutely what you're doing. I mean, it absolutely is a discriminatory, a discriminatory act. And like you said, Facebook is, you know, Facebook is really discrimination by design. And I don't know that, um, I don't think you can say discrimination through intentionality, but it is still discrimination by design. And um, the fact that, I mean, it blows my mind that this could get past Facebook's legal department. It blows my mind. It doesn't surprise me that this would get past the engineers, right? These technology companies hire so very, very few um, people of ethnic affinity, right? (laughs) That... um, that it, I'm not surprised that it, that it that it escapes notice in the engineering department. I am surprised that a lawyer, Facebook's lawyers, would look at this and and think this was okay. Well, that I mean, this is this just reflects how dangerous black box algorithms, without any sort of transparency or observability built into this, that you have these these entirely. Um, dark corners and things that you can't see so the, maybe the lawyers can't see it because you know the, the the angle they're looking at it they're not seeing how it's being applied and used they're not seeing the results of uh, of how it's how it's it goes from from demographic to racism because it's broad it's just oh we have these these flip these switches that you can you can flip based upon demographics and they're not overtly saying you know by race but um the way people are using it so it's got to have more transparency in how you know how people are using it but then this is this this goes down this really dark dangerous road of of transparency and i 
you know, in our world, transparency has has quickly become a bad word because it's been uh, so quickly weaponized by people like Julian Assange. And um, so I don't want to, you know, call for transparency in these situations because I'm immediately invoking everything else that's going on right now when it comes to transparency. But that's what we need. We need some way of looking in and being able to see, well, what does these algorithms produce, these advertising, and how are they being wielded, even if it's just by a a, a group of, of trusted onlookers or journalists or, um, dare I say, regulators. Well, and I think that that, you know, that ties into another story that I'll put in the show notes um, that Craig Silverman wrote for BuzzFeed. Um, And he wrote, he co-wrote the piece, um, I guess it was last week, that talked about the prolifer, or maybe it was a week ago, uh, about the proliferation of these sort of hyper-partisan news sites that are spreading misinformation via Facebook. Right. And um, if you recall, like earlier this year, Facebook fired the human editors that were working on its trending news team. And they fired the editors that were working on the trending news team because it turned out that there were um, it became, um, people found out that the that these folks were. Um, not or they accuse these folks of not allowing conservative news items to trend on Facebook, and so their response, in part, um, of course, you know, folks, um, folks on the right were outraged, um, and the response was to fire the human editors and to let the algorithms make this make the judgment call. But the algorithms are terrible at this. I mean, the algorithms cannot read the signals accurately, and so Craig Silverman wrote a story this week saying that. It's actually going to get worse. Again, like you just said, without human oversight, right, without a human editor or somebody on Facebook who's like, yeah, this is not this story that is being passed around here as truth is actually that has now become a trending topic is is inaccurate. I'm not sure how we're ever going to sort of get back on track. And and Facebook seems to have no interest, again, because it really wants to insist that it's not a media company. It wants to insist it's a technology company. Facebook has no, seems to have no real commitment to doing the difficult human task of, of editing. And yet here they are shaping, very much shaping what we, what we see um, and letting others shape what we see, again, by this targeting, right, by, by using the data that Facebook knows about us to target things directly into our feeds. Well, and and we talked about it in previous episodes about the the incentive models here are all wrong. I mean, that's why the web has become such a cesspool is because the Google algorithm for advertising is so gameable. I mean, that's a constant. That's that's a, a a topic they have entire conferences on. Is how do you game and 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 get preferential treatment in the Google search algorithm? How how have certain things changed? And this is just playing out at the at at this new social dimension um, that has e- emerged and with Facebook as a leader. I don't think Twitter has quite dialed in in, in as, as much as Facebook has, but by having this ad-based incentive model for, for how, you know, this eyeball click view, and then you give those tools to these people who are just pooling and grouping people by ethnic affinity, um, that can become, you know, and, and you more polarize these people with specific articles, specific topics that enrage them, that isolate them, that, that, that make them feel like, you know, those people over there are always out to get us. You're stoking um, the, these age-old kind of fires. 
that could be very profitable when it comes to eyeballs and clicks and people doing things, which just creates this this cycle of that's um, is just not sustainable. It's it's going to get worse, like you said. Um, well, and you know the we saw a piece. Or Bloomberg had a piece this week, and I thought that they really buried the lead in. And it was a it was a look, and it was a look at the Trump campaign. And this was prior to the release on Friday of of Comey's statement about Clinton. And it was really when look it was looking as though the Trump campaign was in a final tailspin. And uh, like I said, I think they buried the lead because about halfway through the story, the Trump campaign talked about that they have three main voter suppression initiatives in place. Now, the Democrats have plans to get out the vote, but tr- the Trump campaign and the Republicans haven't really beefed up the get out the vote thing. So what they're doing instead of getting out the vote, they're trying to suppress the vote. And the Trump campaign talked about they had, they had three these three voter suppression operations um, aiming at the groups that Clinton needs to win, right? They need to win um, idealistic liberals, young women, and African-Americans. And so they were targeting these specific groups, targeting these specific groups with messages crafted to them. Now, again, think about the ways in which Facebook has become this place in which you can show you can show posts to people and they only see them if they fall into these demographics. So, I mean, of course, your friends might share them. In the, and this is how I think, you know, for me, this is how I run across some of this, these, hor- like, the horrific um, sort of uh, right-wing bullshit that's propaganda that's being spread on Facebook. Um, but, you know, f- Facebook, again, is really allowing something like this voter suppression operation to be undertaken because of the finely tuned um, data and targeting that they're able to do. And again, you know, education technology loves this shit. They're calling it personalization. Facebook is building education technology tools. I mean, why on earth would we believe that a company that wants to um, be able to target based on ethnic affinity is not going to move this kind of racist um, design into their education technology software. But, Audrey, I mean, people of color learn better on Tuesday mornings. Yeah, fuck. Uh, I mean, fuck. I just, um, yeah. Anyway, and then the final, you know, the final Facebook thing, and then I have to stop talking about Facebook before my head explodes, is that Trump actually launched a, a television show using Facebook Live this week as well. So just to circle all this around and draw, you know, this all lives in sort of this sort of Facebook world, but just to remind people, Peter Thiel, Trump supporter, spoke at the Republican National Convention, first investor in Facebook, sits on Facebook's board of directors. Mark Zuckerberg says that they're keeping him on there for the sake of diversity. Everyone on the board is white, but Teal's spot is kept for the sake of diversity. He does not have an ethnic affinity, apparently, according to this mind-boggling way of thinking of the world, but he does have an, an intellectual affinity that makes him a, quote, diverse board member. And you know, this, again, I, I feel like if we sort of connect these networks of investments, connect these networks of power, connect these networks of algorithmic design, it's not too hard to see a really dystopian future that is being built by people who've been valorized as sort of leading the charge for entrepreneurship in the, into the 21st century. Fuck uh-uh. these people. 
as much as I, I dislike and I don't I don't get much value out of Facebook um, other than staying in tune with my mother and my family and, and, and a handful of friends. Um, but I will be stepping up my game with new content, um, new stuff coming from the API Evangelist profile on Facebook or Facebook page because I want to understand better how this works, how um, folks like the Trump campaign are going to be implementing uh, their, you know, executing on their vision um, and, and how the algorithm works, how the advertising works. Works, and you have to you have to exercise that to understand it. And of course, um, in anything like this that's going online, going on online, it has an API behind it that's automating it, um, making all this work. So um, I'm going to be tuning in more. Sadly, yeah. So speaking of fun things that the internet enables that um, could also bring about doom, not just the doom of a Trump presidency, but, um, you know, something like global thermonuclear war, say, for example, um, the Atlantic had a really interesting story this week um, that they had created a honeypot, if you will, was an Internet of Things device that they that they sort of they put up there, uh, put up there, put on the internet to sort of see what would happen, and it was almost immediately hacked. Yeah, I mean they just demonstrated that. I mean it was a it was a server or an appliance that they had rented and just uh, made to act like a, a an Internet of Things appliance to kind of you know and it it. it surprised them even how quickly it was hacked and, and compromised and people were, you know, so basically if you're plugging in anything online, um, there's always some bot out there that's constantly scanning um, IP addresses and looking for specific ports to be open, specific uh, protocols. And, and when you uh, buy Internet of Things devices like printers and cameras and whatnot, they have this, uh, uh, normally have a feature called universal plug and play, which will, um, as soon as you fire it up, it'll basically uh, open up certain ports, open up certain lines of communication um, with its mothership, wherever it is, to register it, to connect it, to get its initial instructions, whatever is needed. And that's what people are looking for. They're just looking for any IP address, any device being plugged in and, and what's available as far as it being open. And, and hopefully maybe there's a default password still in play. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, again, we talked about this last, last week because, you know, uh, as, as far as we know, and I actually haven't heard any more about it this week. Um, but as far as we know, uh, this kind of botnet was what took, took out, um, the the DNS server dine uh, on Friday of last week. Yeah, basically the one of the major Chinese manufacturers that's behind the security cameras. Um, they basically have uh, issued a recall for a lot of these cameras, and then them as well as I think uh, folks in the actual Chinese government have been criticizing people um, and threatening legal action uh, for people. Uh, damaging their their reputation, saying that they're at fault, and um, so that's kind of all that's happened this week. So there's, I guess, yay, a little bit of good that you know manufacturers are realizing, hey, this is our our problem. We need to own some of this. Um, I would like to see more uh, literacy and, and responsibility uh, on the the people who are buying these devices and plugging them, plugging them in and not changing passwords, not being literate. Um, as far as what some of these, uh, you know, basic security practices are are around these devices, and 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 ironically, and most of them are, are security uh, devices, security cameras that are being plugged in to provide 
physical security, they're opening up a, a digital security hole, which then can be exploited to launch these DDoS attacks that basically have can bring down any number of things, whether it's it's free speech and going after cribs on security, um, people who are outspoken, um, or taking down whole sections of the internet, like we said or saw last week. So the, you said that the Chinese government was um, threatening people with libel lawsuits. Is is Peter Thiel funding those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm, I think they're actually using that that as a service that was being launched. That'll be this will be this will be just as uh, automated in the future as as the denial of service part of it will be. <laughs> well, the automated lawsuits. Actually, I think he did invest in somebody. Um, I think he invested in in a in a company that was actually doing not automating lawsuits, but. Um, had an algorithm for arbitrage to see if it was worth supporting lawsuits, um, getting on board with with lawsuits. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Teal is supporting a startup that does that. Uh, anyway, that's that's a digression. So um, you wrote some stories this week. Should we talk about Should we talk about them? Well, um, yeah, I have one specifically that I think um, I, I found interesting. It's kind of. I mean, usually the the stuff I'm writing up on, on API Evangelist I don't feel are that relevant for the podcast call because we're kind of you know wider, bigger picture tech. But um, there's one one area that I, I you know um, real quick background on how I do what I do each week is I I monitor the blogs, the the Twitter accounts, the GitHub accounts, and sometimes LinkedIn and other channels for a lot of companies. And I just saw a lot of blog posts um, on credentialing and basically offering some sort of um, credentialing. That uh, that's API related, related. Not all of them were were directly like, hey, um, certifying what this API does, and and you're knowledgeable on it. But um, they were. Uh, I thought it was interesting that two of them were people credentialing around um, machine learning and basically saying, hey, we have a program that developers and engineers and people can um, can put to use to verify that they know about this thing, this machine learning thing that happens. That that is is kind of dark and, and mysterious and, and it's hard to understand exactly what is this machine learning thing doing, but we're gonna certify this group of people um, are knowledgeable in this thing and and that somehow um, I think uh, directly transfers uh, some 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 legitimacy or some validation to that thing. And so I, I kept going through all of this kind of prompted me to pull up other stories and some of the other stories around certifications were why cybersecurity certifications suck and basically someone um, critiquing one of the top uh, cybersecurity certifications saying they're useless. Another one was around insurance and in a, in a, a software as a service kind of insurance information certifying that they were fair and balanced and 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 did what they said they were going to do. Another one was an open source certification that says, hey, we do open source and wink, wink, we guarantee that we're truly doing open source. We're not like those guys over there. And then um, another was Google certifying uh, data engineers and saying, hey, uh, these people know what, what they're what they're doing when it comes to data on our tools and our platform. So really it was just for me a nice 
uh, overview of, of, of the psychology, um, the smoke and mirrors that is certification. Well, and I find, I mean, and I find this really fascinating, um, partially because, you know, I've been tracking on from my, from, from my realm, right, tracking on the certification and accreditation and credentialing thing for a while now. I mean, the sort of attempt, I think, partially from the tech industry to disrupt, quote, traditional certification, traditional credentialing, right, to disrupt college, um, as, as Peter Thiel and others have sort of longed to do. Um, and part of the argument I, that I often hear is that, that the college degree, that the curriculum inside a college degree does not change rapidly enough to account for what people working in technology need to demonstrate that they know, which is, I think, a debatable, it's a debatable claim. Um, but that's part of the claim that you need these more nimble programs that can sort of be spun up and offer a certificate to respond more rapidly to industry's needs. But then I think that there's also an, a, 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 this other piece of it is, so you were talking about how do you certif certifications sort of legitimizing um, fields that might be under development. And I think that that's really fascinating because, of course, credentials and certificates are all about prestige, right? It doesn't, like, what you got a degree in from Harvard matters less than your degree is from Harvard, right? You could, you know, what you got a degree in from MIT matters less than the fact that you got a degree from MIT. A lot of the college degree is very much wrapped in the, in the prestige of the brand. But this is a very different take because these folks are relying on the prestige of the, of the tech company, to sort of legitimize new fields, new fields and new um, products that have not yet come to pass. And so IBM Watson, I think IBM is really desperate to legitimize Watson, right? You get it, they got it on Jeopardy, they're doing a ton of advertising, really trying to position themselves as being um, at the forefront of development of artificial intelligence. But it's not really, a, there's not really a thing there. Um, uh, there's not, it's not, it's not quite a, as much of a thing as the marketing would have you suggest. But if they can team up with Udacity, right, and offer an AI nano degree, they're trying to sort of boost, they're, they're not, they're trying to boost the legitimacy of AI and of Watson at the same time, right? If you can say, our stuff is important enough that it's become curriculum, right, that sort of helps you legitimize what what that thing is, even though it's it's not really a thing. And Udacity is also doing, of course, um, a nano degree program in self driving cars. I mean, I think that the self driving car industry is very interested in self driving cars becoming a thing, but they're it's not yet. But here's a way to legitimize it, right? We have actually. Like, it must be a real thing because people have certificates in it. Similarly, Udacity is offering a virtual reality nano degree, right? Virtual reality is not a thing, but there's a certificate in it, so it must be real. Well, there's this, there's this uh, I think what, where this gets really dangerous is there's this classic claim made by Silicon Valley that um, universities can't keep up, community colleges can't keep up with what 
um, developers need. And then you have the reality of these developers down in the trenches who are being spoon-fed and served the latest in technology, which is seen when you're down in that echo chamber as the latest. This is where everything's going. Everything is Go development right now. Everything is is um, you know GraphQL. Everything is microservices. Everything is DevOps. So you have this, this front line of, of tech that's moving forward, and it seems like reality to you when you're down in the trenches. And then you have these people in le- those leadership positions saying, well, universities can't keep up. And then you have other leaders like Bill Gates who are saying, you know, helping dismantle education and making it about, well, we're not, we, we need people learning what they need in the trenches in these jobs. We don't need people learning all that other extra humanities and music and arts and philosophy and things. We need people learning what they need. And when you pair all that with people actually dismantling education um, through the Department of Ed, through budgets, through funding, through the, the technology that they're selling these companies, then you have the schools going, oh, oh, we should be teaching DevOps. We should have a course on DevOps. We should have this. And then you just have this vicious cycle where people are learning you know, computer science, it's like we, we saw quite for the last couple of decades, computer science in a lot of community colleges is learning Microsoft Office suite, learning the Adobe suite, learning the, we're just seeing the next iteration of this where you're learning Salesforce or you're lear- learning IBM or you're learning whatever that, that, that suite is that you're supposed to be adopting. That's what uh, the technology or the skills are, are being applied to. Well, and let's remember, if we look at LinkedIn, what's the number one certification for engineers, software engineers. It's Microsoft, right? It's it's Microsoft. Uh, It's Microsoft. Because Microsoft got there early, right? They got there decades ago, decades ago, and started again. How do you create something? How do you create legitimacy for for what you're doing is you offer a certification program in it, right? Microsoft legitimized itself in part by letting... IT folks by letting by charging IT folks money to be able to say that they were Microsoft certified, right? And so they were really able to and and the other competing systems at the time did not have a parallel certification. Yeah, and, and it's just the the pace is picked up. Um, I'm you know it's uh, I've curated it from this week, but it's, I haven't written about it. Is uh, Amazon just came out with a whole new training um, you know pack for their certification uh, uh, certification program that you're knowledgeable, and so they're basically following the Microsoft model. But this is is moving at a much faster pace. It's it's cloud based. And 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 they're but they're basically following it, you know, the playbook, uh, play by play. Yep. I mean, it's totally catch twenty two, right? You you want to hire somebody who's certified, right? That a certification again suggests some sort of not special knowledge, special specialized knowledge, expertise, and prestige. So you hire people that have certification, but then those people come in with their certification and they're going to demand internally that you use the tools that they were certified in, right? So you don't hire someone who's certified in Microsoft and then they turn around and decide to make you an Apple shop, right? You don't hire someone who's certified in self-driving cars and then turn around and argue that actually I think I'm going to double down on the manual transition transmission, right? You don't hire someone um, who's certified in IBM Watson AI technology and then laugh and say, actually, um, this is ridiculous bullshit. Yeah, I mean, and 
it's it's so complex and it's so muddy because it's you now people you know people who love to hate on what we're saying and come in and say well you know what else are we supposed to do certifications are good and and there are many scenarios where i feel like certifications can be good and down in the ground level for me at the api level like certifying someone knows how to use your api so you can refer projects to them or Secondarily, a lot of APIs use their API ecosystem as a, a HR and recruitment tool. So you want to identify talent in your developer community, people who know certain things that you could actually hire them and actually bring them into your company. And and at that lower level, I, I really don't have a problem. It's, it's at these higher levels where you're trying to validate an industry or validate your um, your shady approach to AI or open source is somehow um, good or this new cybersecurity fear, you're good at this. Um, it's those high levels. And then when it starts eroding at people who paid for a, a two, four-year degree um, are actually getting trained on things that by the time they get out of school might be acquired and have gone away. Yeah. Oh, it's all a con game. Fun, fun. Yeah. All right. Well, um, until next week, and we can actually, we'll see how much our anxiety um, will have heightened by next week when it'll just be like two days before the election. Yeah, I think we're coming back like the next day we do our podcast right before the election. So uh, yep. um, should be fun. Not really, but yeah, talk then. Bye. <laughs>